Hi, and welcome back to the Play-by-Play on the HR Happy Hour Network. We have a great show for you today. Jack, let us know who our special guest is. Yes, like Nick said, we have a very special guest today. We're talking with Elon Devon. He's the founder and CEO of Devon Academy. Uh, He's a Harvard-trained author, speaker, and the founder of Devon Academy, uh, which is an organization that helps young people develop essential work, life, and leadership skills that companies want but schools don't teach, and technology has disrupted at a time where they're needed most. Elon's clientele includes Fortune 500 companies, universities, and governments, where he works to train and develop the next generation of young leaders and prepare them for for the future workforce. Welcome, Elon, to the show. It is a pleasure to be with you guys. Hi, Jack. Hi, Nicholas. How's it going? How's it going? It's going good. Getting ready for Thanksgiving, the holidays. Yep. Got a lot of big plans made for Thanksgiving. Not really. Just proud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I'd say let's just get right into it. Um, one of the main things I wanted to talk about was just tell us a little bit about your academy, what it is, what you do, and kind of emphasize on why you started it. Cool. So Devon Academy started, I mean, many, many, many years ago in my mind. It started with on a personal level, and I'm not I won't get into too many details on the personal side, but I had this near-death experience when I was about 21 years old, mm-hmm. where I survived a, a series of bombings, shall we say. And I started thinking, okay, I'm alive for a reason, and I wanted to, I wanted to believe I was alive for a reason. So you know, it led me to really follow and honor my sense of purpose. And I was always very interested in the human psyche mm-hmm. and what gets people to change and transform and perform and do better. And that was always an interest. So I, I went on to study a lot of different things. I spent a lot of time uh, in the academe studying sociology and anthropology and, you know, comparative mythology <laughs> and uh, a lot of interesting subjects about that get into the human mind. And, you know, I, I completed two masters. I thought I did pretty well for myself. You know, grades were good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had some work experience. I worked in New York in marketing before. I had run my own nonprofit. I had these two master's degrees. And it was 2008. I go back into the workforce. And I realized very quickly that I, with despite my lovely degrees and two masters, I wasn't really prepared. Mm-hmm. Now, Keep in mind, this was 2008 with the whole recession happening. But <clears throat> I realized on my own skin that having a degree, even from a really the best school, a great school, Harvard, one of the best schools in the world, arguably the best. Yes. yes. And doing really well. That wasn't necessarily enough to get me to land me good jobs. Okay. And I started to realize on my own skin that, you know, the things you really need in the workforce just to get a job, let alone on the job are things like your mindset, your uh, emotional intelligence and relationships and networking and all these other things I didn't learn in school. Mm -hmm. And so fast forward a little bit, I did spend a lot of time working in in sort of the corporate and nonprofit sector. And around 2018, I decided to leave my job in actually in, in the nonprofit sector, working with a big university and launched Devon Academy because I realized something really interesting was going on. I realized that companies, as I talked to a lot of companies, companies are really looking for today, recruiters, companies, employers are looking for these soft skills, shall we say. Yeah. Because technology is automating all these all these different skills, the computational skills, analytical skills, it's really important are the soft skills. And yet 
I noticed that a lot of younger people in particular were lacking these skills just by virtue of growing up with screens because it, it kind mm -hmm. of prevents us from using a lot of these skills and strengthening strengthening them. Yeah. Uh, realized then that, you know, COVID came along and disrupted the development of these skills. Uh, schools aren't teaching them. I said, hey, we got to do something about this and launch the academy. Awesome. Yeah. So that kind of made me think about one of one of the main points I wanted to talk about was, do you think that kind of our generation growing up with all this technology can kind of suit these roles a lot faster than maybe the millennials or even older than that? What What is your take on that? So when you say suit these roles, you mean kind of just like step into the roles that are coming kind of up these higher, these higher roles that are becoming available with just people retiring. And we're just kind of hopping right into it with, like you said, COVID came into play and technology is just blown up with Zoom and hybrid work. And so let me start by saying, I think your generation is by far the smartest generation, very smart, knowledgeable has, you know, is so much more mature in many ways than previous generations. I think, though, where technology comes into play is that, especially with COVID and having to learn remote and work remote and even now be onboarded remotely, is that I'm hearing from a lot of recruiters that a lot of smart young people that are getting into managerial roles, or say, first-time manager roles, mm -hmm. but they have no uh, idea how to lead people. They've never had social situations where they had to exercise these skills. Mm -hmm. And so I do think that technology is playing a role. So I'll give you an example, dating. <laughs> so back in my day and age, right? I'm a child of the 80s and the 90s. There were no cell phones, right? So to actually get a date, I had to go into a bar or into a restaurant or wherever. And I had to sit down. Mm -hmm. And I had to these really awkward. I had to make myself uncomfortable and approach someone I didn't know and have this conversation be rejected nine times out of 10 and be okay with that. Mm -hmm. Today, that is considered, as I understand, it's not even like, it's not a thing anymore, right? It's all swiping. So yeah. something that, you know, we used to be able to have to do, and it was like a normal thing just to get rejected and have that awkward conversation. Today is not even something people think about. And so I think in those ways, technology and ways that sometimes we can't really appreciate is not letting us exercise these skills, which then are applicable and really relevant when you're in a managerial role, when you have to have a difficult conversation with a client or a colleague, for example. Yeah. So you say, um, you know, it's hard to get those experiences now, especially with technology. So what do you think is maybe one or, or a couple things that colleges could be doing, or maybe not even colleges, maybe just kids can be doing in high school to, to make sure they're getting those experiences, you know, in new ways. So I'm, I'm glad you bring up the point that this is, yeah, super practical. Like, what can they, what can we practically do? Start with colleges. I think, and this may be, I hope this is controversial. I hope <laughs> because there's this whole notion of safe spaces. I think the whole idea of having safe spaces is antithetical to growth because we need to be able to, and I think this is probably the problem a broader political issue now in the States where people can't have conversations on things that they're not comfortable with. We need to be able to have discourse and conversations and hear people, even if we totally disagree with what they have to say. So the notion that we, you know, that we have these spaces where when we're feeling uncomfortable, we go to is not helpful, I think, to young people to then having to go out into the world where they're going to meet people and have to work with people who think very differently and now they're not prepared to have that discourse. So that's one. 
in high school, and I think so both to high school and college, I think what we can do, Jack, what I would encourage is a extracurricular sports. Those are great ways to exercise these skills and to build them. I think taking a year off, certainly the travel and teach, you know, do teach for America or just travel or just volunteer or work. I think that's an excellent way to kind of get out of your comfort zone, get into a whole new environment, figure stuff out for yourself. I think that's great. Anytime you have to do something where you're feeling uncomfortable a little bit, I say that's a great thing. Do it. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, all of those things and more are are good ways to start exercising those skills. Awesome. And uh, so that that kind of made me think about the the quiet quitting that that I wanted to talk about. Whenever the whenever we get into those tough situations where we don't exactly know what to do nowadays, you just kind of fall back on the two week notice may not even be relevant anymore. And a lot of, you know, just the entry level jobs. So what is your thought about the quiet quitting and how to kind of persuade people not to do that, kind of stick it out and see if mm. they can make anything happen with with all those rough times? Yeah, and no, I think that's really important that you bring up, Nicholas, an important point on sticking it out. And again, I'll go back to the dating analogy, because mm-hmm. I think it is relevant, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To, because we have all these options. Think about it, dating. The moment you're in a relationship with someone, it's like, ah, they they said something I don't like, or they did something I don't like. Like, I got options. I'm out of, I'm out of here. I'm just kind of basically quitting, either leaving or quitting on the relationship. So we're kind of conditioned in a way to think that way because all of our different spheres of life are now supporting that. So I think from a a young person's point of view in in a job, if if you're in a job right now and it's difficult, it's challenging, I say try to stick with it because one reason is you may bounce, you may think the grass is greener at some other company, you may go to some other company only to find out, you know what, it was actually better in that last company. Mm -hmm. why did i quit because it was actually way better over there so one you have some regrets two is i think you're going to start setting yourself apart i think companies are looking for and want people that are more loyal and dedicated if you can show on your resume you've stayed a bit extra you've weathered those storms and temptations of leaving i think a you're going to have better chances of being promoted within that company but then b even when you do leave you're going to show you've got staying power. You're going to show you've got loyalty and it's long-term. It's the right recipe for success. That's that the point that you made on um, showing that extended length of being with a company. I've actually had two different professors mention that yes, staying with a company for an extended period of time shows a lot of potential for the next step. And then I've also heard the other side to that to where nowadays it's just more common to, oh, you're only been a year here, maybe six months mm-hmm. here. And just, you're just going to kind of have to explain to them uh, what happened. Why, why'd you leave? True. No, I, I have heard that as well. And then I've, I've looked a bit deeper and I think it may be all right. And there is a lot of data showing that when people quit, they're going to get a better offer financially by X percent higher at the next job. And that all may be true. I think if that becomes a pattern and now you know, over the span of a couple of years, you've quit and you've gone on to all these different companies. That's not good. If you do it once or twice, okay. But I think if that becomes the dominant pattern in your resume, by the time you're in your 30s, someone's going to look at you or even, you know, late 20s, early 30s, 
an employer is going to sit there and going to say, okay, a year here, six months there. It's like, okay, I'm about to invest all this money in recruiting this person, going to recruit you, going to invest in you. And I, and based on everything I'm looking at, I know you're going to leave in six months or seven months or a year. I don't want to hire you. Mm-hmm. I think it's not a pattern you want to show. Maybe there, there might be moments where it really makes sense, but mm-hmm. big picture, I think it's a, it's a much better bet to stay a bit longer. Yeah. I think a lot of times also by pushing through, you know, when you think about personal relationships, we can, we all have disagreements, you know, with the people we love and care about within our own families. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and you find that when you can weather that storm and you can push through it together, you push through that discomfort and that challenging period, then the relationship is stronger. You can have a breakthrough in your relationship. So I think a lot of folks will find that if they just stick through that those moments, they may have an even better, stronger relationship in the company with their team by just you know pulling through and pushing through. Yeah, and I think uh, one more factor that might contribute to quiet quitting is kind of I guess a snap mindset of this generation with technology. You know, you know, you had TikTok, which is very quick video, Snapchat's very quick talking. I think it's very easy for younger people. To, to be burnt out, so to say, doing the same thing, you know, kind of over and over again for even just a month. How do you think you can combat that? What do you think is like the best way to maybe create a work-life balance to prevent burnout? Or what should you do if you are feeling burnt out? Hmm. Yeah, well, burnout is definitely a thing. And I think, um, can't deny it, stress, burnout is real, it's very real. And the, I think, you know, the reality is the world that we've created, the world we're living in is not conducive to like mental health. And this device, as wonderful as it is, it creates a ton of stress. And we know that because you're getting all these messages, you feel obligated to respond. Yeah, you know, you're inundated with information. So when it comes to developing or trying to have more of a balance, I think one of the keys, I know this may not be the most popular answer, but I think it is true and science is showing it. Having discipline, I think these devices, listen, I'm addicted, we're all addicted to the phone, right? It's like, it's an extension. I think in Japan, they call it like the third arm, you know, your third hand. It's like another hand. Um, but it's the moment it controls you, then you're sucked in and you, and you lose. And now you're just dependent on this device. I think we all need to learn and be better disciplined on, all right, I'm shutting off, whether it's a certain time at night or I'm not looking at it. You know, a lot of us, we wake up in the morning, first thing is looking at the phone. And if you're looking at your news feed or the news or even your Snapchat or whatever, and you're seeing the news, it's kind of like waking up, going to the garbage and like taking a whiff. You know, the news isn't so good these days. Yeah. Right? So why would you want to wake up and the first thing you want to hear about and prime your mind in this in, in the morning with basically garbage or things that are going to bring you down? Mm-hmm. That's one way I think is just having more discipline around our use of technology. Second and third is basically, I think, is, is simple known things. I think it's social support, having real time to develop and nurture relationships and be with people. And three is just exercise, you know, exercise and movement. Um, those three things, I think, are key. And one of your other talking points was kind of mentioning the American dream. And I kind of wanted to talk about, do you think the COVID era kind of is ending the American dream or having some strong yeah. backlash with it for what people think is is the American dream, what they want, what they see their goals. Do you think COVID kind of changed their mindset of, okay, that's not normal anymore? What what should we be looking at? So I, I'd love to hear your take on it as well. I think this is mm-hmm. this very interesting topic. I think 
in general, I think there's a crisis of meaning. You know, people need a sense of meaning. They need a goal and a deeper sense of purpose to work towards. Mm-hmm. I think when your generation, and I listen, all generations now, housing is unaffordable, period. Like even renting mm-hmm. places are so expensive. Mm-hmm. If you're in a big city, cost of living is way up and wages haven't gone up to meet that. So I think yeah. when we talk about the American dream, if the dream is to have a nice, own a nice house and to have the picket fence and the car and the mm-hmm. two kids, the daughter, whatever, that dream is really becoming more less and less attainable just because financially it is really, really difficult, if not impossible, if you don't have support. Mm-hmm. How are you going to buy a house in the city? How are you going to afford to have kids? Uh, so I think, you know, I was talking to my cousin in New York and that's what he was explaining to me. It's like, if you're just the average person that's trying to get by and have a decent job, it is very difficult to attain that dream. So then the question is, what is the dream? Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, what do you think? How do you see yeah, it? So, so personally, I think that whenever COVID hit and everything changed over, well, not everything, but most things change over to kind of the online um, working and learning. I noticed that there was a lot of jump starts in more online businesses, something kind of what that you have that you've um, been producing but a lot of like our generation has stepped into their own entrepreneurship roles on the online side of things. Well, I think that that's going to maybe help combat that decrease or negative effect that we see with the American dream, so to say. I think yeah. it'll help a little bit, but I do think that right now we are still kind of seeing, like you mentioned, like we don't really know what we're, what we're looking forward to in the future and what we exactly want to what the new normal is. Yeah, and I think I think it is true. I think people are becoming more resourceful, independent, starting their own side hustles and businesses, mm-hmm. and that's great. Of course, that can then lead to its own stresses, you know, yeah. when you're having a side hustle and this and that, and then getting your own clients and generating your own money. Um, but hopefully, yeah, hopefully though that that does offer some flexibility to augment the job you have or just to to, to increase your your earning power so you can afford the dream. Yeah. And Jack, what, what do you think about that? About Yeah. So I think um, affording the dream is probably the biggest factor. I know just yesterday in class, we did a whole, uh, whole class session on uh, eviction. It focused on Milwaukee, but it, it, it also was kind of the story for all of America. I believe it's about 16,000 people a year getting evicted. Um, the, the number is rising on people that are spending more than 50% of their paycheck on housing alone when the recommended number is about 30% or less. So I think just the fact that the cost of living is going up so much, it really is changing the dream. And also I think technology is changing it, you know, especially younger kids, their role models are completely different than, you know, someone from 20 years ago with uh, YouTubers and, and, and podcasters and everything. I think the dream job is changing, which in turn is changing the American dream as well. Um, but sadly, I think it could also get uh, maybe a little overdone. There's so many YouTubers, so many content creators. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, people look online and see the most successful and be like, oh, that's what I need to be happy. That's what I need to be the dream. When it's simply not the case, in my opinion. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I do think it's changing. Yeah, I, I think that's the thing that, you know, there's so many successful sort of successful YouTube stars and, and social media personalities. But when you actually look at them and you hear about them, unfortunately, there's a lot of their life is not as glamorous as as it may appear, and they even say so. 
So I think when people realize, even if they attain that, they start realizing, well, that's not really the dream. Uh, maybe they're making good money, but it's still not. Depends. Yeah, because it, it's I think that this goes back to this crisis of meaning. Like, what is what is it really about? Like, what are we here to attain? And it's a really deep, fundamental human question. Like, is having 100,000 followers on YouTube, is that the dream? Like, is that going to make you arrive? Is it having five million dollars? Is it? And, the, and I think uh, it's it's a, an important question, but the dream is changing for sure. Yeah, so I think we just have uh, one more question for you. We were looking through your website and we noticed the fourth person down uh, is the chief happiness officer. Can you give us a little more explanation on that? Oh, this is a very, very important, uh, shall we say, figure <laughs> in our company. Uh, his name is, yeah, he's he really is the chief, I think, yeah, he he definitely is the chief happiness officer in many more ways than one. And it doesn't keep a lot, to, it doesn't take much to keep him happy. Just a few biscuits, a few, you know, <laughs> a little bit of padding. So that's Amstel. He's actually the COO's dog, Karen uh, Salama. So he's his name is Amstel. He's based in San Francisco. All he, you know, he does his exercise, gets exercise. He's like the model, you know, soft skills dog. Exercises every day, very social eats well, and doesn't stress, no stress. That That's awesome. Is, is he just around the, the office throughout the day? He is. He loves to just walk around, you know, talk to people. Uh, he is uh, the true apple of our eye. Yeah, uh, I'm sure a lot of you, I'm sure everybody enjoys having, having him around throughout the day. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely something every company should invest in is a chief happiness officer. Yeah, we I love should that idea. Him more, I think. You might have yeah. some, one of the first there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you are you based in the same city? Or are you? Different? Yeah, so we are, you know, like our audience uh, also knows, we are students at the University of Nebraska, but we are technically in different cities right now. So, yeah, okay. global. <laughs> Domination, play by play. That's, right. That's right. right. And uh, just one more thing before we wrap it up. Was there any other questions or anything that you wanted to ask us? Anything in particular? Well, you know, I'd love your perspective. I think your perspective is so important. How do you look at, well, you know, do you feel that that what you're learning, for example, I don't know what stage you are in your degree, but, you know, do you feel that you're getting everything you need to be ready for that next step? What what are your concerns or, you know, I don't want to say fears, but concerns when you look at the workforce and what you need to, to do to be ready? Okay. Yeah. So I can talk a lot about this. We're both freshmen in our programs. I was a business major, so I'm actually a junior, but we changed to it's professional golf management, kind mm. of like the business side of golf. Mm. Um, so we're just now in our, just about to finish our first semester working, um, working with that. Um, but I think that based on everything that they tell us, part of it is internships. We have, uh, I believe it's 16 months of internships that we have to complete to get those real world experiences um, at a variety of different uh, businesses and or golf courses. So I think that, like you said, mentioned earlier in the show is getting those experiences and facing those challenges in the real world is going to help out a lot um, for any future jobs that may come up. And Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So you, I think that, yeah, the, the fact that you guys are have 14 or 16 months of internship. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's great. Yep. So we'll, we'll have the school side of things, you know, the normal, what you would expect. And then also, yeah, the real yeah. world experiences 
uh, University of Nebraska Lincoln. That's almost in every major. They emphasize yes, internships, internships are huge and uh, <laughs> just doing community service or just outside experience. That's involved with every degree that they have there. Mm-hmm. And along with uh, internships, we also do, we go to seminars uh, as a PGA student, you are, you have to go to seminars, but those are a great way to network. Uh, that's also a huge thing is networking. There are uh, kind of excursions. We take one day excursions to like Omaha country club and meet with all the executives there. Uh, and the last thing is we do a lot of, uh, well, not so much yet, but we will be doing a lot of um, like business simulations is that, is, is that the best way to put it Nick I think where yeah, uh, you run there is a it's a fake like made up public course private course and you have to run everything with it like as if it was your course so I think they're doing a really good job in getting building experience even when even if you're just sitting in a classroom it's not just like you're sitting there listening to the teacher talk it's it's very nice great no that's great to hear that that is the name of the game experience it's like taking action applying skills that's that's what it's about yeah. One other thing. Yeah. So like you mentioned earlier in the show, your two master's degrees, but you ended up mentioning that you weren't fully prepared or for what the next step was going to be to have everything you needed for that real world experience. Mm-hmm. You needed more than just the degree that says I completed this. Yes. Degree. yes. So my question to you is based on that, it's more about who you know than what you know. Do you think that kind of comes into play with? 110 million percent. Okay. <laughs> you know, I, I work with a lot of MBA students and I'll tell them the, the number one asset of your MBA is your network. Like don't compete because you guys are completing each other. You guys, and the same thing in college, I think, look at it this way. You're all going to go your separate directions initially, but a year or two, three in, you're going to have peers and call, you know, fellow students that you may know who are at a company that you'd love to get into, or you're maybe you're working at a company. Now you want a client, you're doing a sales pitch to a company that they're in. Mm-hmm. People, you know, in the nonprofit world, they say, you know, people don't give money. They don't donate money to organizations. They give money, to, you know, people give money to people. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with, with doing business and sales. It's a lot about based on likability and trust. The problem today is there's so many people. It's such a busy world. You don't know who you're talking to. So if you, so there's no trust. So if someone reach out, reaches out to you blind, you don't know them, mm-hmm. trust them. But if it's coming through a friend or even a, an acquaintance from college, that holds all the weight. So I think absolutely networking relationships is key. Yeah, they just kind of tying that back to our program. They We have like a whole booklet of where every graduate has gone on all their internships. Yes. Mm-hmm. And wow. we're just basically using that as connections to, hey, he's went here. We have another student looking to go here. He'd be a great fit. Like just having that, that second say for the person that's looking to hire you yeah. is huge. Mm-hmm. Just give me a thought. Maybe we do that at Devon Academy. We'll have our booklet of our alumni as well. So that's a great idea. Yeah, that it, it is really nice because then uh, they send out, you know, golf courses will reach out to our program for looking for internships. So then it, it is nice to know that, hey, you know, we've had two students from Nebraska. They were really good. Let's get another one. So mm-hmm. I think it is it's a huge benefit to have that. A hundred percent. So yeah, I think these were some very good points made. We are very appreciative for you joining us. Um, we appreciate your time. And I think we had a great time. I think I can speak for both of us. It was amazing. Yes, very much so. Thank you. Thank you for being here today.
My pleasure. Pleasure speaking with you guys. You did a great job as hosts and co-hosts and great questions. Enjoy the conversation. And we'll look forward to, to hearing it, seeing it. Is it going to be posted on where you guys can post the, the, the podcast? Yeah, we post this on hrhappyhour.net, uh, Spotify, and really anywhere you can find your podcast. Um, we just like to thank our audience for listening once again. Uh, if you have any questions, please reach out to that email at theplayplay at gmail.com. Um, we really appreciate it and hope you guys have a great day. And also, thank you for joining us, Elon. Thank you very much for being here. It was a great show and look forward to sharing this to everybody else. And thank you. My pleasure. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Great job. Thank you.